The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I really like taking vacation, um, and that's why I had you guys answer that question. And I take vacation often with a good friend of mine. Her name's Becky Riggers. Some of you know her. She went to the DR a few years ago. Um, we like to do this. We travel well together. We like to do the same things. Neither of us talk much, so we're a great pair traveling together. And our vacations almost always have to do with sporting events or roller coasters. Sometimes we combine the two, like we went to Chicago, we went to, Chicago, went to Wrigley Field and Six Flags over Chicago. So... As I say that about our vacations, I realize that if you looked at them in a vacuum and you said, who planned these vacations? You would say, a sixth grade boy, right? It's weird that I'm still single. Anyway, so (laughs) sports, theme parks, yeah. So that's what we like to do. I have a picture of us actually from this past summer. We went to Milwaukee. Um, In the bottom right, we're at Brewers Park watching baseball. And uh, you can't see our faces, but you can see are brachos, which are nachos made with kettle potato chips and bratwurst. They're actually much better than they sound. In Wisconsin, you know, you got to do what they do. Um, and then we are at Target Field watching the Mariners play in Minneapolis. And Becky is not giving a peace sign to throwing her dubs up. It's like physically impossible for her to take a picture without throwing her dubs up. So um, that was from this past summer. And then I have a picture of us... Um, on roller coasters. <laughs> and the X2 coaster, I look like a pirate. Look up really good. On the Goliath. And the on the other coaster, I look like a Muppet. I really <laughs> I'm coming off well tonight. Okay. But my favorite thing about the picture with Becky is look at where her hands are. The people in the seats behind us, her hands are directly in their faces. That's why we bought that picture. I love that they came down to look at their picture. Like, I'm so glad to see what we... Oh, man. <laughs> that was not planned. We didn't mean to do that. Um, anyways, Goliath is my favorite roller coaster. Uh, I've ridden it hundreds of times. It's at Magic Mountain down in um, Ventura, California. And why do I love roller coasters? I've thought about this a lot. There's lots of different reasons. One of the reasons I love Goliath is that it it, um, it doesn't have a bunch of stuff like strapping you in, you know? You're like free to, to move, and so you just kind of have this bar across your lap. And it is vulnerable. It is petrifying. You are flying at 75 miles an hour, plummeting these 200-foot hills. Um, it is so scary. But at the same time, it's exhilarating and freeing. You let go and you trust completely this thing that's strapping you in, in this tiny car on a track that's a couple feet wide. Well, tonight we're going to explore the idea of being totally vulnerable. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to trust. What Jesus calls us to. What is trusting completely look like letting go and letting Jesus be present for us. If you've been here this quarter, we've been going through the book of John, um, series called Road Tripping with Jesus. We are looking at Jesus's first year of ministry. And last week we saw Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem and he 
um, literally cracked the whip, right? He turned some tables, he got really upset in the temple because he wanted people to know that he, God doesn't want just a religious checklist from us. God wants a relationship. God doesn't only want our good intentions. God simply wants us. And we're going to continue um, in John chapter 3 tonight. But before we do that, I want to stop a minute and just pray over the scripture tonight. God, we thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that you are with us, that we simply bring ourselves, and that you love us completely. God, I pray tonight that as we look at your word, as, as we look at your literal words, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, God, would be acceptable to you, would be glorifying to you in all that we do and say. In your holy name, amen. Okay, so tonight we continue this journey, and um, this one is a little bit more of a conversation, um, but it is also some really dense theological stuff. So I'm going to read some of the scripture, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, and then I'll read a little bit more scripture, and then we'll talk about it. So let's start at John chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. All right, so who is this guy? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And Pharisees are, we hear about them a lot all throughout the New Testament. Um, and the word Pharisee actually means separate. Um, and Pharisees, they separated themselves from the ruling priesthood in Israel because they thought that they were corrupt and because they thought they didn't care about Israel's relationship with God. So that's who the Pharisees were. And that's who Nicodemus was. Now, Pharisees get a pretty bad rap. Yes, they were pompous. They were hypocritical. Okay, they were self-righteous. Maybe they should get a bad rap. But Pharisees had a really good heart. What they were seeking is not just follow these laws perfectly. What they were seeking was to know the will of God. They wanted to know truth. So that's probably why Nicodemus at night goes to talk to Jesus, because he thinks maybe this guy knows the will of God. So continue in chapter 3, verse 4. How can anyone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Um, and there's an exclamation point. So we know that he's like, what the what? Like, what are you talking about? And the subtext, what I would interpret, is that Nicodemus is saying, do I really need a whole new birth when I have spent my life devoted to God? He's wondering that. But Jesus lays it out from the jump. If you want to know God, you need the most radical change imaginable in your life. You need a new birth. So starting at verse 5, going on from there, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Okay, so let's break down what Jesus has talked about so far. Do you guys know how to write a newspaper article? Let me take a step back. A newspaper is like a piece of paper. It's like folded in half. It's like three feet wide, detailed, detailed news of information of the day's events. Um, so the five W's, who, what, when, where, why, and then also how. So we're going to look at some of those as we're breaking down what is Jesus talking about here. When he's talking about being born again, verses 1 to 3 give us the why of the new birth, to see the kingdom of God. Why? And then in verses 4 through 9, we get the how of the new birth, a transformation by the work of the Holy Spirit. In... um. In Hebrew, which Nicodemus would have known, Aramaic, which was the language they were speaking, and in Greek, which is the language that John was written in, in all three of those languages, the word for spirit, breath, and wind are all the same word. So when Jesus says the wind blows wherever it wants to, he's likening it to the spirit. So what do we know about the Holy Spirit, right? What we know is that it is present with us, The Holy Spirit is with us here as we gather in community. When we look at God's word, the Holy Spirit is with us. But we dare not make assumptions about where the Spirit will will be and what the Spirit will do. We cannot control the Holy Spirit. That is not what we do. It's surprisingly unpredictable and as free as the wind. Nicodemus is even more baffled at this point. Here's what he says. How can this be? Again, what the what? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now we've heard the why of the new birth and the how, and Jesus offers us from where, or from whence, if you prefer the Old English, and I do. So, from where the Son of Man, Jesus himself, he's referencing himself when he talks about being lifted up, hanging on the cross, and he likens it to a story in the Old Testament when God saves Israel. That leaves us with the who. And what does Jesus lay down for our friend Nick? Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. From who? Oh, only the God of the universe. This is it, guys. This is what Jesus came to the world to say and to do. John 3, 16, and 17. God sent his son on a great rescue mission for the world. Not a finger-pointing, shaming mission. A rescue mission of salvation. I like how theologian Karl Barth puts it. He says, God does not will to be God without us, and he does not will that we should be without him. 
That is God's will that we should be, we should not be without him. In the understatement of the millennia, this passage is kind of a big deal. I really struggled with what I was going to say tonight, right? Talking about John chapter 3, it's like, it's not like I can punch up what Jesus says. Let's make it more gospel-y, right? So I really want to share with you, in the time we have left, what are the two things that really spoke to my heart and that speak to my heart whenever I am returned to this passage? And that is the idea of new birth, the moment of our joining on a journey with Jesus, and the idea of eternal life our ongoing experience of a journey with Jesus. Jesus used metaphors a lot to help us understand God, help us have a picture of how we relate to God and the ways in which God loves us. And the fact that he chose a new baby is not insignificant, I think. I think it's important. Because what is a baby above all other things? So cute. It is cute, but yeah, that's my point. My point is... They're dependent. Um, they're not that sharp, right? They're not too bright, babies. They are uh, confused a lot of the time. They're often frightened. And they are always, always totally and completely vulnerable. Totally vulnerable. Now, does the idea of that freak any of you guys out? That being born again is being vulnerable. We are starting over. It's a totally new identity. This is what vulnerability is. Let's think a minute about a roller coaster again, right? The idea of, I have a picture of kind of the very beginning of Goliath, um, of what it looks like, what it feels like to be going up the hill. Um, and the moments before you reach the very top of the hill and then plummeting down. Do we have that video? It's like physically impossible to keep your arms up. If you're, whenever I'm on that roller coaster, the people in front of me always say, they're always like, yeah, oh, because you just, you think your hands are going to touch, even though there's no possible way. But do you feel in your stomachs kind of the fear that that puts in you? The fear of coming up to the top and then plummeting? Dropping over a hill, throwing your arms up, letting go, being totally and completely vulnerable, trusting that the thing that is strapping you in is actually going to hold you in. That's what it feels like to be vulnerable and having to trust, but being petrified. It's a scary word. We usually associate it with as a bad thing, right? I don't want to be vulnerable. You know, I need to look strong. But if we look at it in the context of what Jesus says in John chapter 3, it's an awesome thing. Being born again, being completely vulnerable, that's what Jesus has called us to. Dr. Brené Brown, who calls herself a vulnerability researcher, 
She has interviewed thousands of people about this idea of vulnerability. And one of the biggest conclusions she came to is that being vulnerable is not weakness, it's courage. It takes courage to be helpless, to be dependent on other people. A vulnerable baby loves unconditionally with its whole heart. But it lives out its life saying, I need. Help my needs, meet my needs. And Jesus wants us to turn to him and say, I need. Meet my needs, help my needs. And when we do, we will be embraced wholly, completely. We can strap ourselves to God's love with our whole lives and know that we can trust it. When I imagine us as babies, I like to picture Jesus looking at us in the way that new parents look at their children with love and pride. Have you ever had someone show you a video of their child taking its first steps? And just the look on their face, just sheer joy and pride. I think that's how God looks at us when we are born again. Now, here's the thing about babies taking their first steps. They're not very good at it. I mean, they're always kind of wobbly, and they more likely take a header into the coffee table than anything else. And just to kind of mess with them, when a new parent shows me a video of their child, I kind of want to say, that's it? I don't want to make you feel bad, but your son is terrible at walking. <laughs> that would, I would never say that, but I think that's how we think God looks at us. Right? When we, t- we feel wobbly and fall over again. God, I'm terrible at this. I fell over again. I need you to pick me up again. But God will always look at us with love, the love and pride and joy of a new parent. Some of you out here know me, and I think many of you would, and a lot of you don't, but many of you would say that I'm a pretty strong person. I don't mean physically strong, although I got some guns, but... um, (laughs) I'm, I'm strong emotionally and mentally. It's one of the things that, you know, I would say defines me. I'm fiercely independent. I like to do things on my own. When there's a problem, I like to fix it. And the idea of being vulnerable like that makes me actually kind of physically shake. And I have to take months-long breaks from writing in a journal because of how I, how much I hate being intensely vulnerable and how it makes me feel. And I'll go back and I'll read my journal. I'll just grimace and I'll like put it in the freezer. Like I want to bury it in a hole in the backyard. This being vulnerable, here's the thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's something that is ongoing that we have to bring to God all the time because I know I do need. I am desperately incapable of doing anything to save myself. To transform myself without knowing, first and foremost, I am loved. I am worthy because God says so in John 3.16. And my life, my identity are so much better because of it. Maybe that's why I like roller coasters so much. I just love the idea of letting go. And maybe it gives me a feeling of what it feels like to let go and just trust God with my whole life being totally vulnerable and exhilarated at the same time. And knowing that I can be as vulnerable as possible, that God can see everything about me, even the things I don't want other people to know and see, and that is not going to change the way that God so loved the world. 
but forging our identity is so hard. Strapping ourselves to God and trusting him, God, that's one of the most impossible things it feels like for us to do. But check this out. This is awesome. I love this. Nicodemus eventually must have got something because he's mentioned again in John chapter 19, helping Joseph of Arimathea care for Jesus's body as he's being placed in the tomb. So Nicodemus must have embraced what it meant to be born again, to have a new identity, to be growing into maturity in Christ. And that brings us to this idea of eternal life. We go from new birth to eternal life. Our pictures of eternal life are sometimes a little bit, I don't think necessarily what what Jesus intended. We think of it as infinity, just going on and on and on and on. Oh, it makes my brain hurt. I don't think it's, that's not eternal life in what Jesus is talking about. And it's also not, it doesn't start when this life ends. It's not Jesus giving us a ticket to heaven. That's not eternal life. Let's look at what Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 17. Um, now this is, this is a prayer. This is, Jesus is praying. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, God, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So let's look at um, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then if we look at that in light of John 17, 3, it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but not have eternal life, but know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ. Do you realize what that means? That means eternal life starts now. It's not a future hope. It's a now hope. Eternal life with God starts today. This is why we let go. This is why we're born again. This is why we let ourselves be vulnerable because we get a new reality today. And how do we grow into who God has created us to be? We don't do it by our own effort. It's not by being more disciplined or more intellectual. Here's the secret. Trust Jesus. I know, coming from me, you thought it'd be way more profound than that, but that's it. Sounds like a bumper sticker. Trust Jesus, strapping in, letting go, and trusting Jesus. The journey with Jesus is saying, I'm going to trust you today, Jesus, and then getting up tomorrow and saying, I'm going to trust you today, Jesus, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, until you reach a point where you say, okay, so far I have seen that you have shown up, I can trust you, and that means I'm going to trust you today. Eternal life is getting to live with Jesus right now, every day, saying, I trust you. And when we start to trust Jesus, that's when we start to look a little bit more like Jesus does. A little bit more like Jesus does than when we started. When you start to see your transformation from new birth to eternal life into who God created you to be. Gracious God, you loved the world so much that you gave your one and only son 
that whoever, anyone and everyone in your creation, whoever believed in him should not die, but have eternal life, that we may know you and Jesus whom you sent. You did not send Jesus into the world to condemn us, but to save us through him. And through our eternal life, we will be grateful. Amen.